Welcome to the Everlast Podcast. We are a young adult ministry based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. For more information, please head to our church's website at cwccs.org. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, praying the Lord's Prayer line upon line has been a widespread practice for 20 centuries of Christian history. Uh, But it's not meant to be something robotic. No, it's meant to be the common frame of how we pray and also how we live. Um, Tina did this last week. I wanted to do it again. Uh, Let's pray this prayer together. Cool, it's gonna be on the screen. Let's pray it together out loud. Um, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Ready, here we go. Read with, pray with me. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Tina mentioned this last week, but I I want you to notice again, Everlast, that after the prayer begins by addressing God as our father, right? Our father in heaven. It then has two sets of petitions or uh, rather requests, which uh, the, uh, there's, there's three requests in each set. All right, so the first set of requests are this. I think it's on the screen for you. May your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. That's the first set of requests. The second set of requests in the Lord's prayer is give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, deliver us, from evil. What do y'all notice about those two sets? Anybody? What do you notice about them? You can, you can, you can talk. <laughs> Love it, Katie. Y'all give it up for Katie. That was great. The first set is clearly all about what? God. May your name, may your kingdom, may your will. The second set is about what? Us. Give us, forgive us deliver us. So Jesus says that prayer starts with God's concerns first, and then we get to ours. But we tend to flip-flop that progression when we pray, don't we? (laughs) I'm going to share a little bit more about that flip-flop later. Uh, Tonight, we are now on the second verse, right? Matthew 6.10 in our series, Live the Prayer. And in this verse, we find the second and third request of the Lord's Prayer. Again, Tina went through the first request in this first set last week. So now we are in the second request, okay, of the first set. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Let me ask you a question real quick, all right? Have you ever, have you ever experienced culture shock? Has anybody ever experienced culture shock? To put it plainly, culture shock is basically what it sounds like. Culture shock refers to the impact of moving from a familiar culture to what? An unfamiliar one. It's the feeling experienced by someone who is placed in an unfamiliar way of life or set of attitudes, right? Culture shock. Uh, You go to a new country and the customs are different. By the way, it is often associated with going to a new or different country, uh, culture shock that is, uh, but it isn't just experiencing that. What about a new job? right? The way of working is totally different than your previous job, culture shock. Uh, It happens in the church. 
this church has this way of doing this and that church has that way of doing that. Culture shock can be a lot of different things. Y'all, the way someone dresses in Southern California where it's 75 degree weather all the time is gonna look a lot different than someone in Alaska. You know, uh, I mean, board shorts and a tank top doesn't really fly in sub-zero weather. That would be definitely culture shock. You would literally be cold, shocked. Uh, th think, think about it though. Culture shock uh, even gets down to how you honk your car. It does. How, Kev? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you this. In some states like Texas, the, the promised land, where my wife and I are from, if you're at a stop sign and you let the person in front of you, uh, you know, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, if you're at a stop sign and the person in front of you, not let, the person in front of you hasn't gone yet, right? Due to like distraction or whatever. A little beep beep is a friendly way to say, hey friend whom I've never met. I noticed that you've been stopped a little longer than, you know, you should be. I, I you know, we're at, we're at this four-way stop. So I was just reminding you friendly, friendly that, that you could please now just, just proceed forward, right? Beep, beep. That's all it is. That's all it is. Now, if you honk your horn in other states, let's say New York City, uh, beep, beep isn't, isn't taken as well as, as Texas. Uh, I mean, what follows your beep, beep from your car is a whole other beep, beep. It's more like a bleep, it's more like a bleep, bleep. Uh, if you know what I'm saying, culture shock, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I was trying to remember the first time that I truly experienced culture shock as I was preparing for tonight. And it actually was when I was in a different country. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been to one particular orphanage home uh, in Matamoros, Mexico called the Casa Hogar, which AKA it's called the Matamoros Children's Home. Uh, I've been this, this place many different times of my life growing up. I remember very distinctly the first time I went walking uh, in uh, the streets of the inner city in Matamoros, Mexico, seeing families with homes uh, that were no bigger than a 10 by 10 space with wooden pallets for their walls, tarps for their roof and, and dirt floors. I specifically remember a family, I think it was like a family of five. I was a little dude. I was like, I think like seven years old, but this family of five all slept on the same mattress together. And yes, it was on the dirt floor. And they invited us into their home, incredibly proud to have us there. Uh, and, you know, we got to sit, hang out, and we got to pray with them. This wasn't like anything I, I've ever experienced. I mean, here in America, if our house isn't picked up before, you know, and it's not spotless before company comes over, we, we freak out. Their culture was more about people than the place. Whew, that's powerful, y'all. Another culture shock experience of mine was brief, but it packed a, a, a pretty good punch. Um, I was in Zimbabwe with a team and we led worship one night at this church leadership gathering where a bunch of uh, pastors from local villages gathered to encourage each other and to help each other to, you know, to encourage each other to not grow weary for doing good. Um, at the end of this night, we sat down with this, uh, with a pastor and he began to minister to us just to, just to love on us. Uh, but it was, with the overall message, he was telling us to slow down and to be still before God. This pastor in Zimbabwe then proceeded to tell us that Americans have watches, but Africans have time. Bam, culture shock. His culture associated success, his culture associated 
success by sitting with Jesus rather than getting things done. Another experience of culture shock was many, many years later, uh, uh, when, uh, not many, many, probably just one many. Uh, many years later, when my wife and I, Tina, uh, we went to Lesotho, Africa. And we were able to minister to a specific family in this one specific village. His name was George, King George was his name. They called him this in, in, in the village. Was it because he was an actual king? No, it was, this, it was a sign of honor and, and, and respect. Uh, and uh, because he was the oldest in the village. I think uh, uh, he was uh, 96 years old, or at least that was how old it was when we met him. Uh, myself, Tina, and the rest of our team bundled up in this sweet family's hut. I've got a picture of it right here. That's their hut. And uh, as King George was, uh, by the way, King George was bedbound. He was bedbound. <laughs> by the way, can I share this? King George was saved and baptized two years before at the young age of 94. Due to his ailments, he had to be carried down to the river to be baptized. And it was this river right here. Uh, this is another, this wasn't when he was baptized, but this was a gathering that we were at. And um, it was that river that King George was carried down to be baptized. His wife, King George had a, had a wife of over 70 years. Uh, and uh, his wife was not a believer in Jesus. Mm -mm. And also his great granddaughter wasn't a believer in Jesus uh, when we arrived that day. But guess what? By the end of our time in their hut, they both trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Amen, right? Yeah, give him glory. Why do I share this story and what does it have to do with culture shock? Well, when I think of King George uh, compared to older folks in our culture, there's a, there's a big difference. With old people in the West, our culture, they usually are filled with an overall grumpiness. But with King George, it wasn't so. Um, with really having nothing material-wise at all, let alone having the hardship of his health and being literally bedbound. At all, <laughs> all King George wanted to do, all he wanted to do with us in his family's hut was to share the gospel with his wife and his great-granddaughter as well as thank and praise Jesus. I've got a picture of King George right here. I kid you not, I'm not over-exaggerating for the sake of the story. Why would I do that? When we were in there the whole time, I forget how long we were in there, babe, but it was, I don't know, call it 45 minutes, an hour. His hands were raised to Jesus the entire time, praising the Lord. King George understood life wasn't about him. See, his culture was more about sharing Jesus than sharing about himself. By the way, King George died uh, and went to be with Jesus just two weeks after we left. When we look at the Lord's prayer everlast, and specifically the second verse of the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus showing us to cultivate a culture, a kingdom culture, a kingdom culture. You can write that down. The Lord's Prayer is not just to develop a culture in how we pray, but ultimately be a culture in how we live. You see, Everlast, culture always trumps vision. Culture always trumps vision. This happens all the time in many places. And yes, even in the church. What do I mean when I say this? Well, you can have an awesome vision, but a toxic culture will kill it. It's quite simple, honestly. When you say what's important, but you don't do what's important, it weakens the vision. The Bible in the book of James says that faith without works is dead. It also, James also wrote, be doers of God's word. 
This is true in the workplace. It's true in your friendships. It's true in your families and your community. Um, it's true in the church. Listen, kingdom culture both says and does what's important. It's a both and culture. Kingdom culture both says and does what's important. No wonder, no wonder Jesus spent so much time talking about culture. He talked about culture all the time. Jesus talked about vision in the future a little bit, but he talked about all the time about culture. So before we talk more about kingdom culture tonight, it's important that we know what kingdom means. What is a kingdom? What is a kingdom? Well, simply put, a kingdom is a place and a people living under the rule of a king. There can be an element of culture shock when we're introduced to the kingdom of God, and it sometimes can be very difficult to adopt this new culture. You see, y'all, the Bible teaches that when we accept Christ as our savior, we are also accepting him as our king. And having a new king means uh, we're becoming a part of a new kingdom. This idea is conveyed throughout the entire New Testament. But Paul talks about this specifically in Romans, I'm sorry, not Romans, uh, Colossians 1, 11 through 14. It's on the screen, check it out. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance, in, sorry, wow, tongue twister, in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us, can someone say amen, from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So in other words, Paul says that since we've been, we put our trust in Jesus as our savior and king, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we aren't physically transported to another place. You know, it's not, you know, beam me up, Scotty, like Star Trek for any of you nerds out there. Uh, we, we currently still live in the world. I think no one knew Star Trek right then. Did anybody know Star Trek? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, we, we currently still live in the world, right, right? But we become subjects of another kingdom. In fact, check it out. In Philippians uh, chapter three, verse 20, Paul also says, but we are citizens of heaven where the uh, Lord Jesus Christ lives. Wow. As citizens of heaven, we have a new king. That means we have a new set of laws, a new set of rights and responsibilities. And with these things comes a new set of cultural expectations, kingdom culture. A topic that Jesus repeatedly taught about was the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Check it out. I love this. I learned this. A crazy, awesome stat. About 25% of Jesus's parables begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. Wow. 25%, about 25% of his parables begin with that. And then he goes on to give us many different illustrations. That's how Jesus taught, aka parables to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like uh, yeast and some dough or, or a net cast into the sea. Jesus gives all these parables about the kingdom of heaven and he does, and he does that because the kingdom of heaven is so radically different from the kingdom of the world. As you read some as you read through some of Jesus's teachings, you get a glimpse of how different the kingdom of God is. Y'all, <laughs> kingdom culture is like back, it's almost, it's backwards. It's upside down compared to the kingdom of the world. Think about it. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, the first shall be what? Last and the last shall be what? First. Crazy. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, 
You have to become the least, the servant? Jesus says in the kingdom of God, you are to love your enemies. What? And to do good to those who hurt you. In fact, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn around and give them this one too. That's not how things are in the kingdom of the world though, right? I think most people live by the rule. If someone slaps you on the cheek, you slap them back harder, <laughs> right? The kingdom of God is very different from the kingdom of the world. So Jesus is calling all of his followers to pray and to work uh, for their continual advancement of God's kingdom. The presence of God's kingdom in this age refers to the reign of Christ in the hearts of the lives of believers and to the reigning presence of Christ uh, in his body, that is the church. So we increasingly, check it out, we increasingly reflect his love, obey his laws, honor him, uh, do good for all people and proclaim the good news of his kingdom. What is the good news? Well, I wanna look at uh, the apostle Paul's testimony. I, I read this in, in preparation for, for tonight and I just got so, I just loved it. <laughs> so let's read it. I, I, re I really believe you're gonna be encouraged with Paul's testimony. Check this out. First Timothy 1, 12 through 16. Paul said this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I, I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. Listen, this is good news. This is the good news of the kingdom that people get saved. That should just fire us up. Man, I love it. Something that we have to remember about this verse of the Lord's Prayer, though, we are working through tonight, is that it's very much so, um, I'm gonna put it this way, it's a present, like a right now prayer. It makes me think, it's strange to me how often I'm tempted to trust God with my eternity, but not with my present. In some ways, it's easy to give God our future because we don't have it. It's not ours. All we really have is the present, right? I mean, maybe one reason we don't see more transformation in our lives ever last is because we see the gospel more as a ticket to a destination somewhere in the future than a kingdom and a way to walk in the here and now. Everlast, it's not just about going to heaven when we die. It's about bringing heaven here before we do. Listen, when you give your present moment to God over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, watch your heart begin to change, which will flow into living out kingdom culture. As I was studying for this message, I realized more and more 
that there's other little kingdoms that are in constant opposition against uh, the kingdom of heaven. Yes, if we place our faith in Jesus, uh, we've been delivered, right? We just read that um, from the kingdom of darkness when it comes to our salvation. But while we're still on earth, these little kingdoms uh, try their hardest. And it's important that we recognize and label them little kingdoms. Little means nothing. Uh, these little kingdoms try their hardest to make us ineffective to live out kingdom culture, God's culture. There's countless little kingdoms that we could talk about, but one little kingdom that I feel drags us down more than others is the little kingdom of comfort. The little kingdom of comfort. I mentioned earlier that we tend to get the progression of the Lord's uh, prayer flip-flopped. Remember that? The flip-flop thing. What I meant by that is I, we make prayer all about us. I start with me and I tend to end with me. God's concerns come second to my concerns. If we're being completely and utterly honest, Matthew 6.10 usually sounds a lot different in our lives. It usually sounds like my kingdom come, uh, my will be done in heaven as it is on earth. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Rather than being so self-absorbed, demanding God give me everything on my shopping list, what does the Lord's prayer first show us and show me? That I should pause first to worship, to, uh, to first ask about his concerns. Everlast, being concerned about God's concerns will dramatically change the way you pray and live, dramatically. But all thanks to the little kingdom of comfort, uh, we make it all about us. Comfort though, right? It can be good. Listen, comfort is often though an obstacle to calling. Comfort is often an obstacle to calling. Truth is we make, think about it. We make anti-comfort decisions all the time. Diet, exercise. I've always thought about doing keto because it's like you get to eat a lot of meat and that's great. But you know, we, we but it's like anti, it's an anti-comfort decision. Uh, but, some, but for some reason, we don't often translate that same mindset when it comes to our spiritual lives. I love what Francis Chan has to say about comfort. Real simple to the point. We are quick to rationalize our comfort, yet are slow to commit to serving God. We are quick to rationalize our comfort, yet are slow to commit to serving God. Know this everlasting. God will, woo, God will disrupt your comfort to confront your comfort. He absolutely will. Why? Because God is committed to loving you. He's committed to loving you. He he's committed to loving me. Growth, man, this is a pill to swallow. Hey-o. Growth almost always, always comes through some kind of discomfort. To reiterate, some comfort is good and honestly necessary to replenish us, right? But there's a difference between a comfy couch and a comfy life. Christian author Shauna Pilgreen found this quote. I think she put it really well. She said, life of comfort is called a win for the enemy. Keyword, life of comfort. Once we make Christ our Lord, Satan has lost one battle. His next battle is to keep us comfortable so that we fail our earthly mission. We are to live out our calling, not our comfort. A life of comfort keeps us from purpose. You see, when we lack purpose, we tend to distract with pleasure. When we lack uh, calling, we distract with comfort. Remember, Jesus didn't say, you know, take up your screen and binge with me. You know, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. The first followers of Jesus gave up, man, they gave up everything. I think the only thing I've, I've, I've felt 
not bad for binging was the chosen. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is good. <laughs> Jesus. But I mean, but crazy enough, I was watching the chosen and I, I, I was like, wow, Jesus, uh, his first followers, right? They gave up everything. It was cool to watch it. They gave up everything to follow him because I think they understood at some level, Jesus gave up everything to come after them. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. Taking up your cross and following Jesus, indeed, y'all, it looks like great acts of sacrifice. I've said this a lot before, but often they, they will look like small, almost like imper what's the word? Imperceivable, imperceptible. Thank you. Uh, uh, moments of surrender. I heard it once said the mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause. While the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. I also heard it once said everyone, I heard it once said everyone wants the revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. And I was like, yikes, Lord, help me in that. Uh, what are we talking about here, y'all? We're talking about surrender. I said a second ago, surrender. Y'all, surrender is hard. It's hard. I want my own way and I have since I was two. Basically. Surrender is not always easy, but Jesus is always good. Surrender, I'm gonna say it again. Surrender is not always easy, but Jesus is always good. Surrender is essential. And it's what we mean when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Y'all, surrender isn't just what we say, it's what we do. I'll say that again. Surrender is not just what we say, it's also what we do. Everlast, know this though. It's okay to pray at times like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane for this cup to pass. Uh, but, but Jesus still pressed in. He still, pre he surrendered. He prayed as he taught us, not my will, but Father, yours be done. Jesus... I love this. Jesus climbed out of his comfort so that we could be free. And he invites all of us to do the same. Truth is comfort seems safe, but it will sabotage your faith. Comfort seems safe, but it will sabotage your faith. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So if we're called to walk by faith and not by sight, I would also say that we're called to walk by faith and not by comfort. God is where we find true satisfaction. Y'all, end of the day, the greatest wealth is God himself. The greatest wealth is God himself. The, the Lord's prayer is literally a tool to help us and show us how to pray and walk by faith, finding life in God and his kingdom. Amen. Now, let, uh, I'm going I'm to move on to the next part of Matthew 6.10, which shows us the third request. Okay, we're on the third request. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just using simple context clues, what does this verse tell us? It tells us something very specific. It tells us this, his will is not done on earth right now the way it's done in heaven. We are not experiencing his will in that way. Let me briefly explain this. Hang with me. I'm gonna get a little, Tina said, I'm gonna get geeky last week. I like that. I'm gonna get geeky with you. Uh, in the Bible, God will, God's will, listen, God's will is shown in two ways. Everybody put two fingers up. Copying you, Brie. Two ways. One, his sovereign will. Two, his will of command. First, let's talk about his sovereign will. Let's see the passages of scripture that make us think this way. Uh, first, we consider passages that describe the will of God as his sovereign control of all that comes to pass. One of the clearest moments in scripture is what we just mentioned a moment ago, Jesus in Gethsemane, in the garden. 
he spoke of the will of God uh, when he was praying, right? He said, Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What does the will of God refer to in this verse? It refers to the sovereign plan, the sovereign plan of God that will happen in the coming hours. Acts 4, 27 through 28, I think it's on the screen, says this, truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wow, so the will of God was that Jesus die. This was his plan, his decree. There was no change in it. And Jesus bowed and said, here's my request, but you do what is best to do. That's the sovereign will of God. Now let's talk about the second way of God's will in the Bible, his will of command, his will of command. His will is that he commands uh, us to do. His will is what he commands us to do. This is the will of God we can disobey and fail to do. His sovereign will happens whether we believe in it or not. The will of command we can fail to do. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Wow, so what does this show us? Not all do the will of the father. He says so, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because not all do the will of God. Let's look at another example of, of the will of his command. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse three, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, so here we have a very specific instance of what God commands us, right? Holiness, sanctification, a sexual purity. This is his will of command, but oh, so many don't obey this, right? Then later, check it out, later in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul says in chapter five, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here again is another specific aspect of his will of command. Give thanks in all circumstances? Clearly, many of us do not do this will of God as well. So, let, so okay, hang with me. L let me ask then, let me ask this then. Is murder God's will? Is human trafficking God's will? Is the sexual exploitation of children and women God's will? Clearly not. These things are directly against God's commanded will. Y'all, he, he hates it. He hates it. it. It also grieves his heart more than we could ever understand. So let me ask this then, are these things outside of his control? Meaning his sovereign will? Clearly not as well. He is in control. Both of these two truths of God of God's will, rather, are precious about God. And they're important. Listen, both correspond to a deep need that we all have, especially when we're deeply hurt or experience um, great loss. On the, on the one hand, we need the assurance that God is in control, right? And therefore is able to work all of my pain and loss together for my good and for the good of all who love him. On the other hand, 
We need to know that God empathizes with us and does not delight in sin or pain in and of themselves. Y'all, these two needs correspond to God's sovereign will and his will of command. So therefore, when we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what are we praying? We're saying, God, oh God, redeem, invade, stop this mess. Psalm 16, 11 says, it's on the screen. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. Ooh, I love that one. Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. What do these verses tell us, Everlast? What are these two verses we just read? What do they tell us? It tells us this, in God's heavenly throne room, there is joy, there is rightness, there's justice, there's, there's love. That's what defines his kingdom. That's what life is like in heaven. God says, things are right, things are just, things are joyful and loving in my presence. That's what shapes my kingdom. What's interesting about all this everlasting is that Jesus said in Luke 17, 20 through 21, that the kingdom already came with him. So if the kingdom came with him, why are we praying your kingdom come? Well, simple, because Jesus inaugurated it or initiated it, but he hasn't culminated it or concluded it. I mentioned earlier that Jesus said what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? He told parables, he told parables where he said, it's like planting a tiny little seed that will grow into a massive tree that's going to take over the world. He said, I'm like a master who went to receive a kingdom from his dad and I'm coming back. Jesus said, I started something here. I've begun a revolution. I'm changing people's hearts. The ones who will come to me. He said, then in the final days, I will come and not just forgive and heal you. I will take all sin out of this picture and the kingdom of God will be with men forever and ever. In the Lord's prayer, y'all, Jesus is empathizing with us and saying this place, <laughs> Jesus is saying this place isn't right. This place isn't peaceful. It's not joyful. Your dad shouldn't have left. That person shouldn't have broke your heart. You're not supposed to get sick. This place is not what it should be. All the disappointment in your heart, they are bad. But he says, I'm coming. And one day I will fully make it right again. Everlast, to pray this second verse of the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means we are praying that life on earth may more closely resemble life in heaven where God's will is perfectly done. An honest and simple way to pray this verse that we talk about tonight, I'd just say this, may up there come down here. In our culture, I think we can all agree that everybody is trying to get to a better place, Right? but in kingdom culture, we are trying to make our current place better. Here's some practical things. I'm gonna just, we're about to wrap up. Listen, some practical things to apply. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, in, as, on earth as it is in heaven in your daily lives, okay? They're not on the screen, so just hang with me. I'm gonna read them so I make sure I get all of them. But here's some practical things to apply to your daily lives. This prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prioritize abiding with Jesus. Be intentional with family, friends, and community. Trust God even when the whole path is not clear. Bring the good news of Jesus to every conversation. 
Consistently fan the flames of thanksgiving and gratitude. Give the benefit of the doubt and believe the best. Notice and cherish the little things. To sometimes live in the tension instead of always trying to immediately resolve it. To actively pursue feedback. To stand up for the overlooked and the least of these. To hit the pause button and be still before God more consistently. To show grace toward failures, even your own. To forgive and repent more readily to more consistently express love and appreciation to others, to see your entire life as a mission of the gospel, to listen to people to first understand, not to first respond, to say no to good things so that you can say yes to the best things. One of my favorite things that blew up and call it, it was viral before viral was a thing, was what would Jesus do? Y'all remember those bracelets? I want one. I don't, I don't know. Find one, bring one to me. Thank you. Uh, but honestly, man, to honestly and to more regularly ask, what would Jesus do? I.e., feed the hungry, care for the orphan and the widow, eat with all kinds of people, forgive enemies, study scripture, defend the vulnerable, oppose corruption, weep with the hurting, honor children, take the occasional nap, flip, <laughs> flip the occasional table, make disciples, proclaim good news. May we be a young adult ministry that lives out kingdom culture, man. Let's respond with thanksgiving instead of complaint. Let's not see problems to grumble over, but rather opportunities to minister. Let's let forgiveness dissolve bitterness. Let's serve more than we demand. Let's place ourselves last instead of first. Let's know that it's the sin inside of us that brings us down before the sin outside of us. Let's then let the grace of Jesus transform us to run from sin and to run to God. Let's be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice. Man, I wanna be sensitive to his voice. Let's make God's concerns our concerns. Let's do all this by daily resigning our, our residency to the little kingdom of comfort and living out kingdom culture, the kingdom of heaven. Listen, wherever you go, Everlast, listen, wherever you go, wherever you go, literally, physically, God wants you to bring kingdom culture with you. May his kingdom come, may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's pray.